Moncrief with Energlaze on News Talk. Now, you may have seen at the weekend uh, that a literature course in the University of Ghent will include many names that you'd expect on such a course, but also include the lyrics of Taylor Swift. But this kind of thing is not that unusual. Dr. Ellen Howley, Assistant Professor at DCU School of Music, does it too. Afternoon, Ellen. Hi, Sean. How are you? Not too bad. Now, of course, people, some people at least might go, this is just pandering, you're, you're lowering the tone and all that kind of stuff. Uh, is that what it is? I don't think so. So um, I'm actually at the School of English, not at the School of Music. And Sorry, so, did I say music? <laughs> yeah, well, you can understand why I made that mistake. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> made a mistake. Um, no, I, I think like, because I saw, actually, it was funny because a colleague sent me the course as well, knowing how much I love Taylor Swift and uh, the kind of finding the literary references therein. Um, I don't think it's pandering. I think, you know, what the course itself is doing, having looked at it, is, uh, using kind of Taylor Swift and her music as a way in to talk about some of the other kind of great literary writers and texts that we might think about. Um, she herself, you know, Taylor has used like many literary references in her songs. Um, I think she's a very self-reflective reflective artist. And there's a lot that can be gained from maybe thinking about her in that way and what kind of links she has to these literary texts might help us to see them in a new way as well. Mm. So there's two elements there, I suppose. One would be that, and it does seem to be the case, there's many literary references in our songs. Mm -hmm. The songs in themselves, though, could they be regarded as having some literary worth? I mean, I think one of the things that people say a lot about her songs is that they're really, you know, they tell stories. And, um, you know, we could say similar things about somebody like Bob Dylan, who won the Nobel Prize for Literature, which is ostensibly, you know, the absolute validation of someone's literary merit. Um, So I think that kind of storytelling aspect is very interesting. I also think the kind of persona that she has created in her songs from her kind of early days when she was kind of 16, writing about her crushes, to more, you know, recent songs where she's really kind of questioning what it means to be an artist and so on. There are many, um, you know, similarities between what people who are writing literature are questioning in their work as well. So I think there's something coming through looking at her kind of body of work um, and looking at the songs themselves. Mm. And and like, I mean, and she is actually good with words. Uh, Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, my God. There's lyrics like that. You know, you see that, like, there are moments in songs where you just think, God, that's a fantastic lyric. She's a great lyricist. And I think, you know, that's something that even people who, you know, in the music industry seem to maybe don't necessarily like her style of music. She can can kind of appreciate that she's able to write a great hook, a great lyric. Mm. Um, and, and that really, you know, I, I think that has contributed to her success massively. Yeah, and that, that, I mean, people would probably be very aware of the, the, the Lavender Haze, the song about when she was in Wicklow, and there's a little image about, you know, she has a, 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 a little stone she brought back, and I wonder, does it ever miss Wicklow? Which is, I don't know, yeah. it just sort of struck me as a very striking image. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that idea of, like, the stone kind of almost having its own personality and, and life and so on. Again, that's the kind of trope that you would find in the earliest kind of poems, these idea of kind of giving human qualities to inanimate objects or mm. kind of personification and so on. And even that small little shift makes you think about things in a different way. What does it mean to take a stone from a place and bring it probably back to America and somewhere yes. else? You know, and the link that that then gives with, with Ireland and so on. So, you know, even in that small little lyric, 
she's kind of there are many things that you could kind of think of from that um from those words and in terms of the references she makes to uh, uh, to the literary references she makes she seems to have favorites there'd be a lot of shakespeare a lot of uh, a lot of gatsby yeah i mean her probably her the first kind of big international song that she had was was love story where she kind of says you were romeo and so on, and and the kind of um, you know the trope of the star-crossed lovers, and so on, and that that was one that really kind of uh, projected her into international fame, and and I think probably most people would still know that one love story. Um, so Shakespeare does kind of crop up, and even the video for that, I think there's kind of Jane Austen elements in terms of it being set in this kind of you know Regency era ball or whatever. Um, a lot of American references, American writers come up, particularly, I think, in her more recent albums, um, like Folklore and Evermore. There's kind of several motifs that, for me, are very kind of almost Gatsby-esque, you know, this idea of looking out onto the river onto, or the water onto the green light. You kind of have that image coming back. She talks about being kind of beautiful fool, which is one of the key quotes that Daisy Buchanan in the novel says, that girls can only be kind of beautiful fools. Um, and Nathaniel Hawthorne, who's also an American writer, has this uh, novel called The Scarlet Letter, which she makes reference to in, in at least two different songs. So a lot of the kind of American references, but Shakespeare also there, you know, from her very kind of early days. Do a lot of your students get those references or, you know, when you point them out to them, you know, they might be familiar with the song, but would they necessarily know that's a reference to, you know, to The Great yeah. Gatsby or, or whatever? It's a, really like some you know some will some won't and I think what what this course is kind of doing is using Taylor Swift as a way in so I had a case um, you know a couple a, a year or two ago where I was teaching um, the Roman poet Ovid has these series of stories metamorphoses um, about kind of you know myths about people changing shapes and so on and one of the myths in that is the myth of Midas who you know wished that everything he touched turned to gold but soon realised that this was not actually a great thing to wish for. Yes. Um, and uh, Taylor Swift makes reference to the Midas touch in uh, Champagne Problems, which is one of her kind of more recent songs. Um, and that was something that kind of didn't, you know, they wouldn't have picked up, or at least the students in my class at that time didn't pick up on initially. But after I kind of pointed out to them, you know, they can go back then and listen to that song in a new way, because the song in itself, even that phrase, Champagne Problems, is this kind of idea of everything looks great from the outside, but actually the reality of it, you know, the, the life that I'm living is is maybe causing more problems than it looks like it might. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of adds an extra context then to the song when you can kind of go back and, and look at it in that way. But also then very hopefully prompts them to go and read a little bit of Ovid or maybe think about the Midas story or some of the other stories um, in that text as well. So it's a kind of, you know, mutually beneficial relationship. Uh, yeah, I suppose Champagne Problems as Gatsby-esque overtones, e- e- even absolutely. the title to it. Uh, absolutely. As well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, she's one of the things I find very interesting about her as an artist, I think, particularly more recent years, is that she's become quite self-reflective and self-questioning. And you can see her kind of tracing uh, some of these references throughout her career. So her most recent um, single, The Jewels, in the music video, there's a kind of Cinderella motif, which in a way you could link back to that very early love story where the Cinderella at that time was all about finding the perfect guy and the Romeo that will take her out of it. 
But in Bejeweled, I think Cinderella's, the Cinderella story is much more about finding herself and realizing her own kind of sparkle. And, you know, she says in it, if they ask, if the band ask if I have a boyfriend, they'll say I can't remember and so on. You know, that mm. she's become, you can see a real growth there, um, even in the way that she's thinking about kind of literary and mythic references in different ways. It's a lot of that, though, Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift, or is it, you know, people Taylor Swift? is inventing? I mean, I think people say about the, the kind of folklore and Evermore albums that these are all kind of invented personas. But I think any artist, you know, whatever their medium, in some way is presenting a kind of persona or a version of themselves. You know, she's revealing a lot and she's authentic and open and so on. But I think, you know, there's Taylor Swift, the kind of performer that we all seem to kind of know. And then Taylor Swift, the person... I think she has to guard a little bit of that for herself. So again, with, you know, many artists have done, have done this, you know, Hemingway wrote books about himself as a kind of very masculine figure and so on, whereas whether the reality of that was, was there or not, you know, people question and Mm. she's portraying a particular kind of persona in her work. You know, she's very interactive with her fans and so on. I think she's kind of aware of how Taylor Swift, the, Per performer, the person is being um, perceived, and so to what extent anyone can be, you know, all art is creation. So to what extent it's, it's real is a question you could ask about any. Yeah, act, you know. So yeah. I think that's again, this is where she becomes the way in to ask these much larger questions about liter- literature and, and literary text. Yeah, that is because I liked it, as I understand it, like devoted. Uh, um, fans of hers were analyze every single uh, every single lyric she writes every single Absolutely. thing she says to see what it tells it about her the person but that kind of remains seems to remain a mystery to them Absolutely and I think that's that's what good art is you know and and I have to say like I see a bit of that online you know you see like what what does this song mean and so on and the effort and and the the kind of uh, you know research that goes into it that's the kind of skill of close reading that you learn in a literature degree and so mm. on. So, you know, these people who are who do that are already kind of open to that, uh, the kind of skill that, that's needed to do that. But I think good art will always kind of leave space for questioning or nuance or, you know, you're able to kind of come back to it and think about things uh, in different ways or at different stages of your life. You know, it's interesting now that she's kind of going back and re-recording earlier albums uh, because her music is owned, the, the recordings are owned by her former producer, Scooter Braun. So she's going back now and recording songs that she wrote when she was 16, 18, 20, and so on. And, you know, if you listen, at least for me, as I wouldn't quite say I'm maybe not as devoted as some of those fans online, <laughs> but as someone who's, you know, uh, listening to, say, the original versions and then going listening to the newer versions, I think, you know, th- there is a sort of a sense of reflection there and you know she's older now she's looking back at stuff that she wrote that when she was in her 20s and in the throes of kind of emotional turmoil and so on and and I think there's a sort of reflectiveness there which is mirrored in the fact that she changed a lyric from one of her songs um based on kind of you know fans didn't really think it was an appropriate lyric so she did actually change it Mm. uh in the new in the new version so uh which I think is you know another interesting question around what role should the artists have? Should people take feedback? You know, these are all questions that came up with the Roald Dahl in the summer, the Roald Dahl, yeah. were they going to be changed or not? So again, you know, 
in talking about Taylor Swift, we've ended up back at a key question around the creation of art, how things, should things change, should they change with the time, what role does the artist have, the author, you know, she's, she's just a, a great kind of starting point for a lot of these questions. Yeah. Did you, did you get tickets, Alan? I, I actually did, my friend. You did, and how did friend, you manage that? My friend, my friend Laura, I'll give her a shout out. I think she's probably listening. Had a code, and yeah. So I, I'm the, one of the very lucky few, and I cannot wait. Yeah. Absolutely cannot wait. Uh, <laughs> you remind me? Did you get the super expensive tickets? Apparently, you get to no, sit no, in her no. lap for that. <laughs> no, they weren't too bad. I mean, if she's listening and wants to bring me to the VIP section, I'm very much. Uh, <laughs> you very should much wear surprised. a t-shirt. I teach you in university. That might do the trick. <laughs> well, uh, as you can see, I'm not the only one. There are many. There are many teaching her. <laughs> no. Yes. Yes. So. Uh, <laughs> hordes of screaming uh, uh, academics in, in, in the crowd. Absolutely. Uh, Ellen, thanks, William, for talking to us today. That was Dr. Ellen yeah. Howley, there, assistant professor at DCU School of English. Moncrief, weekdays at 2 p.m. with Anna Glaze on News Talk.